Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 165 of the Sounds Atlantic podcast. Well, Great Big C was a Newfoundland band that ruled the folk rock stage in Canada for nearly 20 years, from about 1996 through to 2016. Carlisle and Newfoundland-born co-founder Sean McCann, along with fellow Bayman Alan Doyle from Petty Harbor, assembled this award-winning, immensely popular St. John's-based band that sold out crowds wherever they went. Having toured with the band for well over a decade, and despite Great Big C's immense success, by 2013, Sean McCann had had enough and left the band to pursue a solo career and recover from the ravages that years of touring can take on artists who more often than not fall victim to the demon duo of alcohol and pills. A musician by birth and a professional songwriter since the 1980s, McCann has become a tour de force in Canada's rich musical landscape, not only because of his association with Great Big C, but as a solo artist and author as well. Sean McCann has recorded five successful albums, each touching on subjects that range from life in his home country to tackling cultural moments like the infamous Fort McMurray, Alberta wildfires. Back in 2016, in which he partnered with the Canadian Red Cross. In conjunction with this philanthropic work, McCann also went on to organize a songwriter's benefit in 2017 in support of veterans suffering from PTSD and addiction as well, enlisting his fellow musician friends Joel Plaskett, Sarah Harmer, and Jeremy Fisher. McCann's good deeds went not unnoticed. The musician earned the Order of Canada for his advocacy in 2020. Coming to terms with the hauntings of his past, which ultimately resulted in a fierce battle with alcohol addiction, Sean summoned the courage to accept accountability for what he'd become. After years of battle, he not only salvaged a life that was spiraling out of control, but would overcome these afflictions to become a loyal husband, father, successful musician, and most importantly, a good, decent human being. Bolstered by the strength and support of his wife, Andrea Aragon, Sean went on to write, with her help, his first book he titled One Good Reason, and that was released in April of last year. Says McCann, it's the story of how love saved their marriage and music saved his life. It's the story of a man freed from the weight of a lie, a man who is changing his narrative and never forgetting that he's not alone. Sean wrestled with the COVID lockdowns by turning to what he loved the most, to writing music, telling stories, and uh, at the inspiration of his son, to writing sea shanties and culling his ever-growing sea shanty collection from all over the world. Says Sean, I spent the last six months making Shanty Man to keep myself from going slowly insane in the absence of any live in-person concert interaction, and I've been a fairly active folklorist for most of my adult life, and was actually known as the Shanty Man in Great Big Sea because of some of the great old songs I brought to the band. But folk music for me was always much more than just a collection of library in an archive. The lead single of McCann's new album, Shanty Man, is titled Shanty Man's Life. What McCann describes and writes as the wonderment of the human spirit, a testament to the brotherhood of acting as one. Last week, we sampled a couple of songs from Shanty Man on the podcast, and today we're going to showcase every track with our featured guest. And joining me now from his studio in Manitoc, Ontario, just south of Ottawa, is Sean McCann.
Sean McCann. It's uh, wonderful to be talking to you. It's been a long time since you and I chatted, but in any event, you have a new album out that I would uh, like you to talk to us about. It's called Shanty Man, and I'm not sure if this is an outgrowth of the great big interest in, in, in shanty songs a while back, but um, tell us about the album. Well, I've always been the shanty man. Uh, certainly in my previous existence as founder of Great Big Sea, that was my role, was to sing the big screamers, the shanties. And to that end, I mean, I've always um, I always loved those songs. And I was actually, before the band took off, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I was doing a master's in folklore at Memorial University and because I was so fixated on folk songs and, and shanties in particular. And I really wanted to know where they came from, how to find them, and all about them. So it's it's really been, you know, for me it wasn't a, an internet minute. It was it's been my entire like life and, and career. But I and I have an active shanty file. I keep uh, there's 82 left after this record, so there's enough for another eight records or so. <laughs> These are on my to-do list, my bucket list. You know, they've always come and gone and. Uh, just love them. They're strong songs. They really, uh, they gave um, oppressed people a voice to speak to power. I mean, cap sea captains didn't often care what you said about the king uh, as long as you got your work done. So uh, sailors and slaves alike got to uh, say political things. Uh, not so subtly either. <laughs> Alexi, a lot of, a lot of the shanties are there, quite blue. So finding a uh, clean version sailors were sailors after all um but they were also intended to 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 make light of hard work to make hard things easier to make them uh by getting people to work together um you know lifting hauling up sails hauling in fish these were laborious tasks and required a concerted effort and to maximize efficiency the tempo of these songs was utilized to get people to, to haul in time and together. So they made difficult things achievable. So I always liked that about the shanties. And I, I don't think the kids understood that when shanty talk came, but I did. And, uh, no, I don't think they did. And I, I was wondering if, you, if there was a song in here that uh, you feel would demonstrate the origin of, uh, of shanties the most. I mean, I, I listened to... Oh, yeah, well, I listened to one that deals with with uh, with uh, with foresting, but uh, you know, that's what happened. I mean, the, the the shanty the shanty concept, I guess, spread to forests and whatever whatever people were doing back then, mining and so forth and so on, in order to facilitate what they were doing, picking cotton in in the southern states. Black people did, you know, was saying to so. In a sense, yeah, they're closely related to spirituals in that way, and they come from slavery days um, work songs. And you know what? If you Google shanty man, the American dictionaries say the simple definition is lumberjack, but the British is sailor. Right. So there's different. Uh, the, what they have in common is is labor. You know. Right. Um, but to speak to where I think your question was going, like really probably the best example of the true origins of the common workload, uh, the, the function of the song would be the recording of Chariot that I did, which is actually found in both the spiritual traditions of the South 
in the slavery tradition and also in the nautical British tradition. Um, and the chorus goes, we'll roll the old chariot along and we'll all hang on behind. And it really speaks, it hits the nail on the head. This is like, we're all going to do this. It's really, this is really hard what we're doing, but we'll get it done together. And I always thought that that song, I was drawn to that because it exists really clearly in those both those traditions. But it also spoke really clearly to our current state with COVID. You know, we we all are faced with this really huge challenge, probably the biggest challenge humanity's faced in centuries. And and the only way we'll overcome it is if we work together. So that's what I was. That's where I went with that song. Sean, interestingly enough, uh, it has a, a reggae feel to it. Um, you know, which would link it to to the to the cane fields in in the Caribbean and 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 cotton fields in the U.S. and so forth and so on. I mean, that, that's a fascinating. Yeah, choice. that's what I was thinking. I mean, I'm also a huge fan of reggae and uh, reggae uh, as a folklorist, but also as a fan. You know, always this was another form of music that was, you know, a, a subtle form of rebellion against oppression and. Uh, they weren't sea shanties for sure. Reggae songs are not that. They're almost like the anti shanty. They don't. They're on the offbeat. They right. They kind of lend themselves to relax. They're deceptive because they. These are very relaxing mel- uh, tempos and rhythms with reggae, but they often say really big things and speak truths again to power. And uh, you know they came from. Um, from the traditions of slavery, these, these are these are songs. Reggae's true rebellion. It doesn't it doesn't you know it doesn't have that. Uh, it's not aggressive in in that way, but it's very powerful in the message that it holds. Here is Terry. We'd be all right if the wind was in our sails. We'd be all right if the wind was in our sails. We'd be all right. If the wind was in our sails And we'll all hang on behind And we'll roll the old chariot along We'll roll the old chariot along We'll roll the old chariot along And we'll all hang on behind Well, a little good news would go a long way A little good news would go a long way
Chris Andrews, and you're listening to Ron Moore, Sounds Atlantic. That's Jared. Everybody comes from uh, Sean's new album, Shantyman. Just before I, I ask you to speak about the next song, your experience with uh, at Munn, I, you must have taken courses uh, with Neil Rosenberg. You must have studied under Neil. Yes, I did, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, I still owe him a thesis, I think. But, oh, that's all right. He, he, you know, I've, I've, I guess I've known him for probably 25 years anyway. Um, uh, and he's a, a wonderful teacher, musician, uh, folklorist uh, himself. Sean, when, when you look back to your experience there, how did it, how did it influence uh, what, what you do today or did it? Well, he there, I was really drawn, like I started the Masters in Folklore. My undergrad was philosophy and uh, and literature. Uh, I've always been a big reader, but I was, in St. John's, it was, we had, uh, you know, Ryan Fancy and Figgy Duff and the wonderful Grand Band, and we had these these old songs were always around, and they were pop music where I, when I grew up, and very, very much in your face, very present. And I knew they were old, and I just wanted to learn more about them. And, uh, Fellas like Rosenberg, who, you know, uh, I think he won a few Grammys or was nominated for Yes, yes he did. Stuff. Yes, he did. Yep. Yeah, like he was a, a really heavy hitting academic. He's an American guy. And, you know, I started to wonder. I mean, I run it, ran into him in the pub because he was playing banjo. You know? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> found out who he was, struck up a conversation, and um, found out why they came to Newfoundland. And that's because it was such a uh, rich. Uh, uh, gold mine of this, this these materials still existed in in the uh living culture you know and that's why they were there to find the varying songs so not to get all folk nerdy and stuff but there was a real um he had access to this information he devoted his life to the the pursuit of the of these songs you know and loved them and uh this was how he how he honored them you know and uh it, it to me the science of it while I understood how necessary it was, it didn't really it wasn't a really good fit for me. Like I wasn't a very good academic, but what I really liked about Neil, and Neil knew <laughs> Neil knew that, but he tried really hard. <laughs> and, uh, but what he exposed me to was the wealth of knowledge that that I wouldn't have known about. Like it's, uh, I guess I learned from him just how many uh, the songs were out there and 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 what they really meant and and and, and like the historical context where they really came from. Which only added to their to their um, power to me and their mystique and their and their and their fascination. That that uh, program has graduated a very rich crew of uh, of talented people. Yeah, Jamie Marrera, I remember he's in the uh, states again now. Melissa Leidenheim, they've all gone on to do like become strong academics in their field. And I just you know there's. I found it difficult. To, there's a real discipline to it, but it is. I think it's great that uh, you know. Hats off to the to the people who did it. Like right back to Francis J. Child, who started collecting variants of these songs. Um, and this is probably a good ex- like the bold fisherman on on the Shantyman record is not really a sea shanty, but it um, it is a child ballad. Francis J. Child collected these in the 1800s because he found them in so many different countries and he found so many versions and he thought that there must be something to this and uh, started cataloging them. And it's because of their, the work of folklorists and the science of folklore that we actually have, you know, and then the, they had the presence of mind to record these things and write them down. I mean, it, it, it gave these songs a, 
a certain form of immortality. Like we have them now. The boat fishermen they are just speaking about. So, so this uh, tell, tell us more about this. It, it looks like it's a, a love story here. It's a beautiful love story. It's, it's we, we call it a child ballad. There's a list of those. Uh, I think there's 168 that he collected, and basically began the. He literally was the, probably the first folklorist, uh, Scotsman. But the, I was drawn to the song. It is very romantic, uh, you know. And there's a lot of these old songs. And it's, this is from medieval. This is from the Middle Ages. This is probably from the 1400s, so it pre-exists sea shanties. Really, that's how old this is. Um, but in the story of the song, um, this man comes sailing up the river. He encounters this beautiful lady. He gets out, and the lady is tormenting him, saying, "You're just a fisherman." And um, what are you fishing for? And he flirts with her and he says, I'm fishing for your sweet pace. <laughs> so I thought that was a great, a great come online. Anyway, as he gets out of the boat, she notices that he's actually a lord because he's wearing a gold chain. And, uh, and of course, this, um, this has repercussions because now she's, she feels like she's insulted him by, by, by labeling him a lowly fisherman, you know, and, uh, so there's these songs have these um um these this element of disguise, deception and love is you never know who you're I there's a message like you really don't know who you're talking to, so be careful. And it also in a darker way probably alludes to how much power <laughs> the Lord might have had. <laughs> but, you know, at the end they, they get they get together and uh, and off they go and get married at uh, his father's house. So it's a beautiful story and again it, the fact that this song lasts it's like six hundred years old now, like you know that's a that's a real hit. <laughs> no, that's not. That's uh, bigger than rock and roll. That's been around a while. No kidding. Here's the bold fisherman. As I walked out one May morning down by the riverside, there I beheld. A bold fisherman come rowing on the tide, come rowing on the tide. Good morning to you, bold fisherman. How came you fishing here? I came here fishing for your sweet face. River clear, all on this river clear. He lashed his boat onto a stake, and to this lady went. He gently took her by the hand, which was his full intent. Which was his full intent He took off his morning gown Slowly laid it down There she saw three chains of gold Dangling three times round Thank you. 
carry on here. Now, my disadvantage is that uh, I don't have the list of who wrote what songs. Um, I, so I'm not sure which ones you've written and which ones are traditional. Um, I don't know if, if if you're able to send me something like that. For Well, they're all uh, they're all traditional. Most of them are actual shanties. Uh, Bold Fisherman is, is probably, like, wouldn't qualify as a shanty, but I I felt it deserved to be on the record. But the only one I wrote was the last track, which is on the water. Sean, uh, there's a song on here uh, that looks like it's autobiographical when I listen to it, or it could be. I mean, I don't know you that well, but but when I listen to Well, I'm just a lowly shantyman, a servant to the song. I sail the wild world over on the water I belong. Let me sing till I'm gone. Let the music set me free. That sounds like something you would have written. That's the only song on the record that I actually did write by myself, and um, I wrote it. I mean, I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan, and the greatness of Cash was he had a beautiful voice, which he really was true to, and uh, it took me a while to find my voice, but I I really think, you know, I never gave up, and I'm I'm singing stronger now and and in my true voice over the last decade, for sure. But what Johnny Cash did, he, he didn't always insist on writing every song in his records. He was a great chooser of songs, but he'd always write one or two songs that kind of rounded out the record or spoke to somehow why he chose those songs or thematically. He, he, and, and he was able to, to match their level. Like he was always, he was a great songwriter of itself, but he, he'd sing eight songs by someone else like Christopherson or whoever. And, and then he, then he'd write one that was just as good. So this was me trying to match to be in the same theme, but to be true to myself. I mean, I am a lowly shanty man. 
the role of the shanty man is to serve the song. We're just a singer, you know. Uh, we should do our best to live up to how great these songs are, and that's how I felt. And I'm also a very, very avid sea kayaker. I love, I literally love being on, on the water. I come from a small community, as you know, Gull Island, Northern Bay, Newfoundland. I grew up, uh, I'm 54 years old. I grew up, my grandfather, I was out, I had a dory, I had a horse, I was out pulling cod traps when I was 10. You know, and these things just don't happen anymore since the, I mean, the cod moratorium just erased small boats. In fact, the government, the first thing the government did after 1992 and the moratorium was blow up every little slipway in every little town, including Northern Bay and Gull Island, which meant we couldn't have little boats, which meant we couldn't fish, which meant we didn't. But I remember that, and my kids will never know that life, but I did. I lived that life, and um, and it never left me. You know, I still, every chance I get, I'm, in, I'm usually in a sea kayak, but I'm paddling. Or if I get a chance to go fishing, I go home and do it. Um, it's a big part of who I am. The ocean is always humbled me, made me realize how, how small I am. But the songs that it inspired, they're big and they're mighty. Do you miss it? I do. I get back where I can. I'm, I drive the, I spent the last few years in COVID, um, cause I usually, I go, I go see kayak on Salt Spring, out around Hadaguay. I go to Newfoundland, I go to Nova Scotia, like I'm able to work and paddle. But uh, COVID really pushed me into a new place, which I really like, and that's Gas Bay. I can get there in about 10 hours, I think the drive was in total, and it's a, it's a nice drive. But, you know, as soon as I get down past Montreal, Quebec City, uh, sorry, Quebec City, and into the, out out in um, the, the St. Lawrence, the Gulf, then I smell the salt air. So that's the closest and most direct contact I have with the sea. And I spent a lot of time out there all the last couple of summers that's with beautiful. the whales. Very much like Newfoundland, a different language, but same animals in the water. Beautiful. Here is On the Water. I am just a lowly shanty man, a servant to the song. I sail the wide world over on the water. Setting sun bleed gently across the sky with one eye on the horizon. I watch the world float by. Let the storms rage on the ocean, let the rivers run to the sea. Let me sing my song until I am gone. Let the music set me free. Let the music set me free I live my life in harmony On tempo and in time Always working on the melody And hauling in the lines Let the storms rage on the ocean let the rivers run to the sea Let me sing my song until I am gone Let the music set me free Let the music set me free
everybody on the water it's a beauty and uh, we're working our way through the tracks on here um now i i should pick up uh, this next song because it is very much in the tradition fire down below so she was the parson's lovely daughter the parson was a miserable fellow scraggy and and, and thin and um want to tell us about fire down below yeah i was i i found this song years ago. I think I bought The Great Big Sea at one point. It just never happened. I can't remember why, but it was... This one is, you know, this a, a very sexual... I had to clean it up. There's versions of this that are really... <laughs> you can tell this came from the sailor tradition. And the fire down below, I mean, refers to, uh, you know, human sexuality, you know, lust and all that, but it also probably in some some versions refers to... STDs, <laughs> you know, it's just like a very, very ribald. But I like the fact that this guy, this, and I don't know, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it, I could totally relate to it. This guy, he's in church because that's what you're supposed to do. But all he can think about is he's not listening to the word of God from the preacher. All he's thinking about is his daughter, who's really a hottie at the in the front row. <laughs> that's, that's where his heart and his head is, and. uh I just think that's hilarious, you know, and, um, and but very honest and very direct, I think, you know, truth be told. And super catchy thing. I, I, I threw in Scotland the Brave. I felt that it was such an obvious lyric that it required an obvious tune that everyone knew. So I threw that in there and played it on the whistle. And it's just, um, I don't know, I think, you know, it was a, it's a fun song, It's but it's, you know, it was interesting to see how many... The lyrics were so explicit in so many versions that this is this is a you know it is ribald, but it's definitely for it is family consumable still.
lovely daughter was sweet as sugar candy. Sing way, Have you been touring this? Are you touring it? Are you going to tour the? Uh, how is it going to work out? Well, we 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 adapt, right? We overcome situations. So I got to go out east because there was uh, less restrictions, so I got to do that in October. Got to road test the album solo uh, in Charlottetown and Halifax. Some great shows sold out. Uh, people loved the record, which and, the reason, and they all showed up and knew the words. And Fredericton, but then, you know, it was kind of short-lived, so we came back, and uh, restrictions still haunt us here now, and there is a huge backlog with venues and age mm-hmm. and all, it's just, this, the effect of this is going to last a couple of years, and it just makes my job a lot harder. You're right. Uh, I will say, if anyone's going to find their way out through this, it's going to be me, because I'm just that crazy, and I'm that determined. I just did a thing in a place called a Strathmere in uh, in, in North Gower here, which is just up the road from where I live in Manatick. And they're a wedding venue and they've suffered immensely because they rely on crowds gathering just like me. But I partnered with them and just this past weekend I went in and I bought in Chris Murphy and uh, uh, Nimke's Wimaguans, um to kind of back me up on bass and drums just to thicken it up just because just I felt like it really. And we had a really powerful shake. <laughs> I mean, there was only 130 people there, but it was you know, there and it was blocked like because because of the restrictions that were there. We wanted to be, create a safe environment, and we had dinner and a show. Nice. So we 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 harnessed what they were really good at, which is cook. Their food is amazing. Nice. And they have a lovely venue that's very posh. You know, like it's like the small hall thing, but very 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 posh. Super comfortable, and they're just this. They're pros at what they do. Their job was to rock the food, and our job was to rock the house, and it was just great. So we're doing another one of them, and. Uh, uh, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday, and I think that might turn into a thing. I think it, it was really, really nice to have a, something that uh, we have the great, you know, the music. We did great big C songs and the Chan songs, but 
I don't know. I think it's I'm 54 years old, and, and my demographic, according to Facebook, are women age 45 to 54. <laughs> and I don't know that we want to really go into pubs and bars and or be in big stadiums full of people. Like I think small is the new big, and I think I think dinner and a show is oh is really a great night out. That's, where where that's was the venue of, again? It's called Strathmere Retreats. It's in North. It's in North Gowerding. Okay, Strathmere Retreat. Okay, that's not one I know. Yeah, it's, uh, they've been in business for years. They're they're pretty much in a wedding venue, you know. Okay. But what they are is a venue, and they they have uh, uh, their own farm, so their food uh, garden to table, really fresh fresh food, and just a great chef. And I don't know. We were, we found okay. ourselves. Is it open to the public? Me. I mean, can can people go to the uh, book themselves a seat and go off and catch the uh, these two are sold out handily? But I think we'll be announcing more in the new year. And okay. I think, but I I like it because it gives me a chance to. Uh, I don't know. It could be a thematic thing we run with, but again, it's uh, in the absence of any reliable venues or tours. Uh, you know, sometimes you just got to invent your future. Like Joe Joe Strummer said, the future is unwritten. So you know, and under duress, art art tends to to work harder, and it you know the strong will survive. So this <laughs> this was just trying to make something out of nothing, and uh, and we were successful. The experiment worked. It was a great night, and. Uh, is definitely we both agree, uh, myself and Strathmere and everyone in that room, that this was something that no one else is doing that we could probably continue. Excellent. Uh, the sea has been, I guess, always uh, full of tragic circumstances and events, and uh, uh, you've got a number of uh, songs here that deal with tragedy. Deep Blue Sea, Lost My Love to the Deep Blue Sea, Bring Her Back to Me. You want to tell us about Deep Blue Sea? Yeah, I initially heard that from the singing of uh, uh, Pete Seeger. So this was kind of in, this made it into the 60s, 50s folk, those American folkies uh, kind of were known to, knew this song. And then I dug deeper and put my, you know, academic smarts into, into it. And I found out that it is, in fact, a Related to, or arguably a variant of, especially with regards to the lyric, it's a variant of General Taylor. Oh, right. Yeah, well, you know. lowered him down on a golden sure. chain. It's literally about burying someone. Sure. And uh, <clears throat> so I just kind of like, when I find things that are peripheral and weird like that, that drew it to, to my, that made me interested in the song. And um, because I have a history with General Taylor, which was written, you know, people think it's an an, an homage to General Zachary Taylor, but it was really uh, sailors, you know, threatening to, that they would, you know, catch him and kill him. <laughs> that was that's where General Taylor came from. Uh, this was more. This was the same lyric, uh, same story, only it was told from the uh, perspective of a lover, but a lot of the same lines. So then I started thinking, okay, Pete Seeger. Folky, this is kind of like where it came. He's seen it as a romantic thing, and then I started to go further into move forward in time, and and I stumbled uh, like I started to think of Simon and Garfunkel, coffee shops, and I wondered what Paul Simon would do with this, and then that's where this arrangement came from, because it now kind of lives in uh, almost you know Cecilia or me and Julio down in the schoolyard or whatever. But it is a progression, and I believe folk music has to evolve. And, uh, you know, uh, 
hopefully I've added a little bit of myself into this, but it's a, that's a long, that, that story's got a lot going on. If you think of what I just said <laughs> from, from general Taylor to Pete Seeger, Paul Simon to the Shanty man. Here's deep blue Z. Colleen Power, singer, songwriter, and musician from the wildly beautiful Newfoundland and Labrador. You're listening to the best of the best music from Atlantic Canada on Sounds Atlantic with the one and only Ron Moores, a man of superb musical taste. I know as it can't go. Wherever you're to, you got her scald now. So stay tuned. Run, run, little grouse, run. That's Deep Blue Sea, everybody, and uh, 10,000 miles away. Wow. Take a trip on a sailing ship 10,000 miles away. She's doing fine. Um, 
Boy, I wish if I was the captain, I would steer myself 10,000 miles away to find her. You want to speak to us about 10,000 miles away? Yeah, I love this song. I always did. Uh, it was one I brought to the band and, again, never got to. Consensus is a difficult thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I always wanted to do it again. I've got another 82 left to go. But this one... What really got me with this one, this is a really cool lyric, uh, great melody, super singable. Crowds love this. This is like if there's a a single on the record, I think this would be it. You know, not that this is going to see a lot of, you know, it's not going to be on the American Top 40. <laughs> but, but This, has, it, this you know, has a great big C feel to it, I thought, when I listened to it. Yeah, one of the comments was, this is the, the best great big C song you've never heard. All right. There you go. There you go. So, anyway, the, the uh, what I was drawn to about the song, though, uh, artistically, was that this usually it's the woman, the female, who is pining for the sailor who has had to leave, uh, was either taken away, forced to leave, or for whatever reason, or immigration. In this case, it's the dude who's left on shore, and the girl has gone. And, and so that's that, that's a might seem like a small thing, but it's a huge thing in the context of the general thematics of these songs. So it is different, and uh, he's it's the guy who's kind of pining and is now pledging to go find his lost love, who's who's gone ahead of him. But uh, it's got a super infectious chorus: uh, "Blow you winds, I will and I will go. I'll stay no more upon the shore to hear the music play." I don't know. I just this was kind of like got me on the path. This when I started singing this. In the winter, all this kind of came about, you know, after uh, Shanty Talk. Uh, my kids told me about Shanty Talk and said I was going to be cool again. <laughs> I uh, I opened up my Shanty file and I just started singing them again. And uh, I started to feel really good, like in the middle of winter, doing nothing but virtual work after and a year, more than a year of that. You know, I was facing down a pretty tough winter for someone like me. I live on live shows. I, I thrive on that and still miss them dearly but i found myself up in my little man cave here my little home studio belting out that song and i came out and everyone was everyone knew the chorus because they could hear me all over the house and they're like man you look like you're in a way better mood (laughs) so this is proof that music is, is in fact medicine and singing is especially when you sing together with your friends i mean there's there's it's a real lift to your demeanor and that's what this song does for me For a brave and a gallant ship and a fair and a favoring breeze With a valiant crew and a captain too To carry me o'er the seas To carry me o'er the seas To my true love far away She's taking a trip on a sailing ship Ten thousand miles away My true love, she is beautiful My true love, she is fair Her eyes shine like the diamonds Bright and golden is her hair She shed a lonely tear As the big ship left the Sailing ship 10,000 miles away On a cold and stormy night My love and I did part Left all alone I sing this song To mend my broken heart To mend my broken heart 
some superb trad bands throughout Atlantic Canada. Now, what is it about, about in, in Great Big Sea that made it so immensely popular? What, what, did, what was it that, I mean, you weren't doing anything that dramatically different from a lot of other trad bands, yet you were a unique band and immensely popular right across the country. Well, how would you explain that? Well, I, you know, I, would, I think we'd all admit, I'll certainly admit that we were not the best band. There was no doubt about that. Uh, there was way better players, way better players. Uh, we could hold our own singing-wise, but we couldn't hold a tech candle to most of the other bands. And um, and there were many. Like and Some of my favorites were, like the Barry McNeils is my favorite kind of Cape Breton yep. band. But yep. in Newfoundland, as I mentioned before. Shady Uh Yeah, they came after, but Ryan's Fancy. Ryan's and, Fancy, yep. Uh, wonderful Grand Band yep. and Figgy Duff. Yes, you know, they, we were, this was, you know, who we went to see. And uh, we were signed to a record label called Sire by a guy named Seymour Stein, who, who signed the Talking Heads and Madonna, to name a few. And I had a great chat with him. He was fluent in folk. He was, he knew Pete Seeger and all this, these guys. He, he knew what he was doing. And he was a great music guy. And he was, you know, he pointed out to me, all these artists, they were all thieves. And <laughs> so we all... <laughs> You know, Paul Simon was a thief, and Lou Reed's a thief. And he was able to prove it by going back. Like, And this is where this idea really came from. He was he was an encyclopedia. He was like a Neil Rosenberg, but he was in, uh, you know, he was in the music business. Ron Hines so, would be the first to admit he was a thief. Who was that? Ron Hines was, would be the first to admit he was a thief. Well, I don't doubt it. I mean, any honest <laughs> songwriter, which is what I, Ron was, uh, you'd have to admit it. Like, there's... Like John Lennon said, there's nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Um, so we we are we do we we were good thieves. We were able to pick the cherry pick the best things of all these many bands we had direct access to on a weekly basis. I might add, which was a huge advantage. It wasn't like we had to try and find this stuff in a record store. We could walk into the pub and there they were, and we could talk to them and watch them. 
But I think what differentiated us is was sheer bloody ruthlessness. Like we we really really wanted it. We wanted not just to be good, but to be big. That was if if we had to if we had a priority, it wasn't big was always the number one thing. And uh we chased that with a vengeance. We had a meeting, we all had degrees, the moratorium was in town, we didn't have many options. We all loved music and we were prepared to do just about anything to get there. And I would argue that we worked harder, uh, not to diminish the efforts of other people, but we were, we would go further and, and fight longer to get what we wanted. It was sheer bloody mindedness, honestly. That's, well, that's what were some of the secrets then to, 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 to the, to the media exposure, the, the popular exposure you had from one end of this country to the next? Well, again, it wasn't like it happened overnight. We played every nook and cranny. I was the agent for the van for the first three years. Like, I, I can still remember phone numbers in Victoria, British Columbia wow. for like some shitty bar. Like huh. it's, we just would do what others would not. Huh. We did it. And we gave ourselves two years to do it. And uh, it was sheer force of will. And then, you know, I got a record deal. We didn't have a manager or anything like that. <laughs> we got a record deal on our own. No kidding. We, uh, all that stuff. We didn't even have a lawyer. Like we had nothing. We were just going to do it anyway. Oh, no one came to us and said, "You're great. I want to represent you." <laughs> Warner Brothers came to us because we sold ten thousand records by ourselves, <laughs> and they, you know they they just they had to buy into it. They knew they would lose out if they didn't. That's a great that's story. How, that's how determined we are. That's a great story. You, you you must be when you look back. You must be immensely proud of of, of your achievements. Uh, you you and. You and, uh, and and the fellows that uh, that did did all that hard work, Alan Doyle. Uh, I mean, Alan's still he's a, he's no wonder you guys were successful. You got more energy between the two of you than than dozens of others. Yep, and Alan still wants that thing. You know, I just after a while I started to question what I wanted, and I didn't really want that anymore. That didn't make me happy. Being big, being famous, being big, all that stuff, and it's I'm not the first artist to come to this conclusion. Um, it doesn't mean it's going to make you happy. And maybe it makes Alan happy, or maybe he's still looking for something. But I, I'm just grateful that, you know, for the journey we took. And um, I learned a lot. And uh, you don't learn from success. You learn from failure. So I have to look back on my legacy and say, yeah, I could have done things a little differently. One of the things I would have done was I would have said a lot more. Uh, people often say, you know, you seem to have found your voice. I've been sober t- 10 years now. It's amazing to say it, but I have. And I've gotten stronger with every year, and I've come closer and closer to my true self, my true voice. And, um, you know, I think that's what music can really do for people, if you let it. Um, and people often say, like, you never said you weren't, you never said much in Great Big C. And I'm like, yeah, I wish I had said more. Uh, we kept it simple. You know, uh, it's a lot easier to sell beer than it is to sell mental health messages. <laughs> You know, and I've done both now, and I can tell you that the most satisfying thing to do is talk about things that really matter. And you know, and when people say, "Well, you didn't, didn't, you know, you didn't even speak much," and I'm like, "Well, I was on stage with Alan Doyle. It's kind of hard to get a word in. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not a lot of room there." Well, we're going to take a little break here and come back for part two. Don't go away. 